Um, if you guys have your Bibles, we, we've been, the Christmas uh, theme, if you will, this year was called Christmas Different, and we try to look at Christmas in a different manner. It's not that we're trying to, re- we can't recreate anything, but we just try to stop and look at Christmas from a few different perspectives, hopefully causing us to view the season and, and maybe our relationship with Christ differently. And although Christmas time has passed, and I don't know about you guys, I, we sent a newsletter out the other day, and like just saying that Christmas is over, I get a little depressed. Anybody else get that way? Like when you start taking the Christmas decorations down, does anybody else get kind of like, oh man, feels like we just feels like I just was in the attic dragging all this garbage down. Now I go back up there. But it's deeper than that. It's like that season, like, you know, it's my favorite time of the year. You get so amped up for all the Christmas songs and the eggnog and the presents and all that good stuff. And then pff, it's gone. And, um, and so I, my hope this morning isn't that we get depressed. I'm not trying to turn you guys into manic depressants like me right now. But, but what I want us to do is to spend one last message talking about this Christmas story. And so we're going to look this morning in Luke chapter 2, and um, it's a little, little different in that we're going to kind of start at the beginning of the story <laughs> after it happens here. And so Luke chapter 2, and we're going to kind of focus in on just a little bit of a phrase at the very, very beginning. One of the things that we see in this Christmas story is... Um, the sovereignty of God. And when we use that word sovereignty or sovereign, it's an old church term, I think. And sometimes we're like, oh, it's a fancy word. What, what do we mean by sovereign? And the idea is that God's in control. I'm not sure about you um, and where you're at in life. I, I do know this, that, that we all, everyone goes through storms. Um, and so this morning, you might find yourself in the midst of a storm. Uh, you might um, be on the verge of going into a storm, not to cause you to get upset about maybe the coming of 2015, but, but for some of us, 2015 might be a stormy year. Um, hopefully there's some this morning that maybe they've come out of a storm. But the reality is that in life, that we go through storms, we go through rough patches, we go through difficult times, and it's not just once, it's one of those things, it's a cycle in life. And maybe you've had the experience where you feel like you're like in a good spot with God. Like, like you know, maybe your relationship with him is good. Uh, you think or you feel like you've, you've been doing everything that, that God's kind of called or asked you to do. But despite that, um, difficult things happen. Um, I, I remember, and I've shared this with some probably, um, I grew up in a, a, a Christian home and a Christian church, and I remember at 16 years old, we were away at summer camp. Uh, and at this camp, in one of the Carolinas, I, God got a hold of my heart. And, I, and God, at that point, I believe, called me to one day be a pastor. And I started down that path. I remember coming home, and you know, the church, it was a smaller church with a small youth group. And so they celebrated all the decisions that youth would make, which is a good thing, and hopefully things that we do here at our church. And so I remember, you know, the church got behind. Uh, there was me and another guy that kind of made the same decision. The church really embraced us, celebrated us. I remember the first time I had a chance to speak was an Easter sun, sunrise service. And, um, and so I, go, I get done, I graduate from high school, and I go off to Bible college. Same pursuit, starting off with 
uh, and an emphasis in youth ministry. And while in college, I made several very poor choices, not unlike most college kids, I suppose. And in the midst of that four years, I, I began to drift pretty far from God to the point where um, I, I changed majors uh, several times, more than my parents probably cared to think about. And, um, and I got away from the idea or the thought or the hope of being a pastor, uh, graduate, and then pursued a few other things. In God's goodness and in God's sovereignty, um, he never gave up on me and would continue to poke and prod and call. Now, I'm pretty stubborn, and it took a while for that to go and resonate and for me to get to a point in my life that I was willing to actually submit to that. You fast forward from a 16-year-old to a guy in his mid-30s, and um, here we have, at that point, Three kids, beautiful kids, three girls. I'm the only man in the house. I own a business, and we're doing very, very well. And God just keeps pounding me over the head, saying, listen, Chad, I've not called you this. I've called you to do something different. And over a course of time um, and some very frank conversations between Courtney and I, we finally gave in to what we felt God calling us to do. It took a long time to get to that point. And, and, and so as you begin that journey, we go through the time of selling a business and then committing to going into ministry full time. And things seem to be going really, really well. And then um, I'm told that the church wanted to go in a different direction. And I remember coming home to Courtney that night and I was dazed and confused I mean here I feel like um, I've, I've done everything God's kind of asked me to do I mean something that he's called me to do for a long time almost 20 years and although I've gotten away from him I'm, I'm back in line I feel like I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do I'm, I'm taking the steps and in, in, in difficult steps of, of, of selling a business and all that kind of stuff and um And God seems to slam a door in my face. And I remember coming home that night and talking with Courtney, not even know how to explain it. And I remember the two of us just crying and being upset and just questioning God. How, how in the world can this happen? If we're doing what you want us to do, how can this storm happen so quickly? It doesn't make sense because in our minds, don't we start to believe and think that if we're doing what God wants us to do, it's almost like this yellow brick road, isn't it? that we walk on, and things should just kind of fall in line. It's when we get off the road and, and we start doing things that we ought not do that we expect the avalanche to come or the waves to come in life. But, but, but we kind of think that if we're doing what God wants us to do, then we should be in this bubble of protection, right? That it should be an easy-peasy kind of life. When we get into the Gospel of Luke in those first two chapters. I want us to read verses 1 through 7. So Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. 
This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Verse 6 says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Okay, so this is a familiar story, right? We, I mean, we've read this story, and we've made reference to this story the last five, four or five weeks. Most of us uh, are familiar with this passage. We've heard it so many times. And sometimes when we look at this and we see this story, it almost feels like it turns into some kind of urban legend type fable. If you're one who marks in their Bibles, I would encourage you to underline those first three verses, first three words in that first verse. In those days. In those days. Let's think about this. In those days, when Jesus comes, when Jesus leaves heaven, comes to earth, and he is born in a manger. In those days, what were those days like? And how can we bring those days into where we are today to make a connection? Okay, so in that passage, we see that it says that Caesar Augustus is mentioned. So let's, I know kids are on school break, and no one likes history nowadays. I love history. But let's do a little history lesson here. Okay, March, I believe it's March 15th, 44 B.C. We have a very well-known person in charge by the name of Julius Caesar. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Julius Caesar. Everyone probably has, right? Yeah, Julius Caesar. He's in charge, and it just so happens the the same group of men who um, proclaimed him to be God came up with a plan to assassinate Julius Caesar. So March 15th, 44 B.C., Julius Caesar is assassinated. Julius Caesar has no heir to his throne, to his kingdom. He had previously adopted a, a young boy, his nephew, by the name of Gaius Octavius. Okay, Gaius Octavius now is a 19-year-old boy, and he becomes the sole heir to Julius Caesar's possessions and titles. Okay, so you have this 19-year-old boy. And at this time, Rome is a republic, and much of the area, the territories are kind of divided up, and they're all kind of run by different military leaders. In this early stages, Octavius and two other guys partner up and begin to weed out some of the other leadership, and these three guys take control of the Republic of Rome. You have Octavius, Mark Antony, and a man by the name of Leopoldus, or Leopetus. Okay, and so these three guys, they, they weed out all the other leadership, and they, they become the ones in charge. And that's good for a little bit. And then Octavius and Mark Antony get together, and they weed out the other guy. And so now you get down to where there's two guys that are basically controlling the Republic of Rome. Uh, in 31 BC, things come to a head between Octavius and Mark Antony. Leading it back a few years prior to that, Mark Antony marries Octavius' sister, Octavia. Um, and probably, like, that creates a whole new dynamic at Thanksgiving. 
right? When you have two big leaders and then the one leader goes and marries your sister, it's probably not a good recipe. And it doesn't end well because Mark Antony divorces Octavia. And we all probably remember Mark Antony for marrying who? Cleopatra. 31 BC, there's this battle that ensues between Mark Antony and Octavius. A large battle. Uh, history tells us that, that um, Mark Antony and Cleopatra combine their forces. Um, they have about 500 warships, 100,000 infantrymen, and about 12,000 um, guys on horseback. Pretty big army. Octavius matches it closely. About 400 warships, 80,000 infantry, and 12,000 men on horse. But Octavius was a little bit smarter. His battleships were a little bit more agile, and ultimately they won this battle. 31 BC. Um, Shortly after that, they win the battle, the victory there. Then we have that story of Mark Antony and Cleopatra that commit suicide. At that point, Mark Antony's out of the situation, and Octavius claims all of Rome and begins to transition Rome from a republic, extend its boundaries, and Rome becomes an empire. And so Octavius, who has his name changed to Octavian, becomes the first Roman emperor. This is where we're at. In uh, 12 BC, Halley's Comet. We've all heard of Halley's Comet, right? Halley's Comet flies, and as that occurs, Octavian tells the people that that was Julius Caesar entering heaven. Remember, Julius Caesar had been anointed and declared a god. His heir, Octavian, now is claiming deity with Julius Caesar, who is now in heaven, and so he begins to be worshipped. They change his name once again to Augustus. And this idea of Augustus, it's more than just a simple name. That, that name Augustus means exalted one, supreme ruler. And so you have this man who is in charge of almost the entire known world. Huge resources. They've gobbled up all of Egypt now and all of their resources as well. So extreme wealth, extreme military power. And he ushers in this time of peace. The, the history tells us that um, during this time, the temple of Janus, now Janus was the Roman god of war. The temple of Janus was closed for almost 30 years. Okay? The only time it would be open is, is if they were at war and then the families of the, those soldiers could go to the temple and pray. There was no war. The civil war uh, had, had, had ceased, had ended, and Octavian, or Caesar Augustus, had ushered in this almost unheard of peace. Great military strength. Great resources. And this is the time in those days that Jesus comes. He, Caesar Augustus, has expanded his boundaries so fast and so large that he's unsure of how many people are underneath his power. So he declares, he issues a decree for a census. 
in this census, all the people are supposed to go back to their homeland. And so you have this man, this, this, this man who had power that had almost not been seen in the history of the world. Who's ruling everything and with one decree can cause massive movement. Can make almost the entire world bow down to him. And then some 3,000 miles away, you have a peasant couple who begins this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It appears at first sight that Caesar Augustus is in control. But we see that Caesar Augustus was just a pawn used by God. He causes Caesar Augustus to do these things that moves Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem. In that story, you, you can write next to it in a, in a column of your Bibles if you want to. Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2 is a prophecy given by Micah some 650 years before the birth of Jesus in which Micah declares that Jesus, the coming Messiah, will be born in Bethlehem. See, in God's great sovereignty, he uses this mighty earthly king to move this peasant family in Nazareth to Bethlehem. We can fast forward in this story and we can think, well, man, that's a storm. I mean, that's a, we know the storm. We, we've talked about Mary and Joseph and all the, the hardship of Mary leaving Nazareth, coming to Bethlehem and having to have a baby with no family support. She has to do it, you know, Jesus is in the manger, not in a crib, not in a house, in a cave. All those things, we talked about that, right? That's a storm. Like, nobody wants to be part of that. That's a storm in her and Joseph's life. But God was sovereign. We mentioned briefly before that storms don't just happen once in life. They will continue. Remember, I think it was two weeks ago, we talked about the wise men. The wise men come and bring gifts to Mary and Joseph. When they're done, they were supposed to go back and see Herod, remember? Tell them where the king was. They have dreams, shouldn't go back to Herod, because Herod doesn't want to come worship. He wants to come kill the, this newborn king. So they leave. Mary and jo- or Joseph ends up having a dream too. So they flee. Go in, in Matthew chapter 2, if you want to look it up. They flee Bethlehem and they go to Egypt. That's, again, not what you want to do. You have a baby, you want to be able to settle in, begin to take roots. But no, they have to run, they have to leave, because Herod, who's in charge of that territory, wants to go murder this king, that threat to his kingdom. Again, that's another storm, isn't it? You continue through Matthew chapter 2. After Herod dies, Mary and Joseph decide to come back home, back to Bethlehem, where David was from, only to find out that Herod's son is now in charge and is even more tyrannical than Herod. History tells us, Josephus, a uh, Jewish historian, tells us that when Herod's son took reign, he killed over 3,000 citizens just to prove a point. And so Mary and Joseph then not, do not go back to Bethlehem, but go back to Nazareth. And at the very end of Matthew chapter 2, it tells us that, that was to, again, in accordance to prophecy, so Jesus could be known as a Nazarene. 
See, all these things, these storms in life that we see in this chapter, uh, beginning of of Luke chapter 2, and we see in Matthew chapter 2. It's storms in lives. It's, It's messy. It's difficult. And no doubt in all of this, there were moments when Mary and Joseph would question things. Were they doing what God asked them to do? Absolutely they were. But God's sovereign. God has a plan. God has a plan for you and for me. Life will get difficult. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It will happen. My challenge for you, my challenge for me is this. When those storms occur, we have to grab a hold of the belief and the understanding that God is sovereign. He is in control. The situation doesn't control God. God controls the situation. And as we get out of those storms, oftentimes we can look back and see God's sovereignty and why we went through those storms. What caused those storms to occur? I uh, have shared with you on a few occasions that my life verse is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God used that Again, a few years back. And in that verse, that passage that Isaiah speaks, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so your ways are higher than mine. See, we have these plans, these ideas, these thoughts that we can pursue, and we think they're good. And they think they're right. And sometimes we can try and manipulate God, can't we? Even in our prayer life. God, will you please do whatever? Fill in the blank. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for things. Absolutely, we should pray for things. But we should not try and manipulate God to do what we want him to do. Rather, we should allow God to use us to do what he wants to do. He's sovereign. He's in control. He knows the better path. He, he knows the reason for the storms. He's the one that brings about the storms, allows the storms to occur, gives us the strength to get through the storms. God's sovereign. And we see that perfectly played out in this Christmas story. This year, as we continue in our journey as a faith family, God's sovereign. We have... 20, 25 people here this morning. God's sovereign. To me, it amazes me to think. As Courtney and I got that news, and we were bewildered, confused, upset, mad at God and everybody in between. God was sovereign. God had a plan. I didn't fully understand it. Like I, I knew, I knew ultimately God wanted me to do and go out and plant a church. But in Chad's timeline, it didn't measure up. Like, I've been praying over it, praying about it. But in my mind, I had a master plan. You know, it was three, four years here, then a couple years, whatever. There was a timeline involved. It was measured in years, not months. But God's in control. God's sovereign. And rather than, than, than... do everything that Chad wanted to do in his nice, perfect, wrapped-up way. God allowed a storm in our life to come in. 
And God used that storm to cement a lot of things in our own relationship and the calling that God gave us. Was it difficult? Yeah. Probably the most difficult thing in our married life. Has the storm passed? I don't know. (laughs) There will be another storm, I guarantee you. We've been blessed here with Redemption Hill. We haven't really had a storm yet as a church faith family, have we? I'll tell you this, I believe that um, as we continue to pursue God, storms will occur. And we can get mad and we can get upset about it. We can get bitter about it. We can grab a hold of the promises of this Christmas story in those days. In those days, they were dirty, they were messy, they were challenging. People put their trust and their faith in a figure, in a man, Caesar Augustus. But he was a pawn used by God. We have made mention of this almost on a weekly basis for the last few months. We live in a messed up world. There are times that I appreciate 24-hour news. You can watch and get caught up with stuff. Um, But the more I watch the news, the more depressed I get. You know, and at the end of the day, news, like any other industry, tries to get ratings. And the only thing that's going to get ratings is stories. And usually the stories aren't positive, are they? But we live in a messed up world. It doesn't take a lot to understand that. And sometimes in, in our own naive way, we think that it's a political problem. So if we get the right political leader in, then all problems will be solved and everything will be great. Um, If I could be perfectly frank, and I don't want to get into a political discussion per se, but um, if we think that President Obama is the problem with all of our, is the reason we have all the problems in our world today or in our country today, then um, I'm sorry. And this comes from a staunch conservative (laughs) Okay? President Obama is not the reason for all of our problems. President Obama is not the reason that we hear a story about two New York cops that get gunned down. If we think a new political person is going to come in there and solve all of our problems, then we're hoping for the wrong thing. The answer will never be found in a person, the answer will always be found in a Savior. And the Savior is Jesus Christ. That's it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If we want to see the world change, if we want to see our, our community change, if we want to see our country change, we need Jesus Christ to make that change, not a person. Now, I'm not saying don't get involved in politics. I'm not saying don't go out and vote. I'm not saying any of those things. We have to be good stewards of the opportunities that God gives us. But I'm just saying one person or one party or one group will not change the world if it's going to be through that group alone or that person alone. It's got to come through Jesus. Caesar Augustus proves that. As great as he was as, and as, great as, as much as he accomplished, by the end of his reign, it was coming all undone. He was losing power. He was losing his authority. The, the, the wealth of the empire was beginning to crumble. The peace was no longer there. 
Because one man can't sustain it. As great as we want to make the person out to be, they can't. So what are we going to put our trust in? What are we going to put our faith in? Is it going to be a person? Is it going to be a thing? Or is it going to be a Savior? When those storms in life arrive, typically that's when we find out what we believe and trust in. Because it's in those dark moments, it's that thing that we grab a hold of that will prove it. What are we going to grab a hold of? For some of us who are older, um, we've experienced a lot of storms in life already. And with that comes um, some experience. And sometimes that experience is good, but sometimes it just dulls our senses and we just try and close our eyes and let the storm ride out. I would encourage those of us who are a little bit older that in the midst of these storms that we realize that God is in control and there's a reason for these storms, let us learn from those storms, learn through those storms and grow from the storms. Some of you guys that are younger, um, maybe your storms haven't fully arrived. I mean, yeah, we've all had storms, and maybe your storm so far has been a challenge in a, uh, one of your classes. Maybe it's been a challenge in a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend. It's been maybe some challenges with mom and dad or whatever it might be. And, and yeah, those are difficult. But they're going to be bigger and larger storms in life that, are, that arrive. And as those storms come, the easy thing to do is just give up. I think there's no use. Or to question God, like I shared with you. I'm trying to do everything right. I'm, I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to pick out good friends. I'm doing all this stuff right. Why are bad things happening? I don't know. But I do know, without a shadow of a doubt, that we have a sovereign God who is in control who's reigning high with a strong and mighty hand that will push you through the storm. I hope for us this year, this coming year, that we live with the understanding that God is sovereign. He is in control. In those days, in those days of Caesar Augustus, he was there. In these days, he's still here. And let's grab a hold of it and not just say it, but believe it and live it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for just this Christmas story. And God, it's one of those things that, that we, we can read it and read it and read it and we know it. And many of us at some point in our lives probably were a character in it. Some Christmas pageant on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning at church. And unfortunately, we can become so familiar with these stories in your word that we almost get numb to them. God, this last week or so, in 
preparing and thinking about this morning's message, those first three words just rang out, Lord, in those days. In those days, it was more than just a marker that Luke included to give us a historical perspective. But it gives us an idea of what it was like when you came. How you, God, used this man who had power that the world had probably not seen before. A man like at a snap of a finger could almost make the entire world bow. He calls for a decree, a census for people to travel to their homelands to be counted and to be taxed. And when he said it, it was carried out. And here it looks like you have this this mighty man in control calling all the shots. But yet you were sovereign. And you used this man to achieve your will. And to move this peasant couple A girl, 13, 14 years old, nine months pregnant, on this 90-mile journey that took some eight or nine days, marching from Nazareth to Bethlehem. The city that you declared in Micah 5-2, where the Savior would be born some 650 years earlier, You are always in control. And so, God, in our lives today, there are some this morning who are in a storm. And they can feel the wind blowing. They can see the waves. They can hear the crashing noises. In their their hearts and their minds, they're probably saying, God, I'm doing everything you want me to do. Why does this keep happening? God, you're sovereign. You're in control. Help them to grab a hold of that. Or for some, um, for some of us, God, we, we can see the waves on the horizon. We can see the storm clouds brewing. And we know it's coming. Lord, I pray right now that you resolve within us this mentality. That we can grab a hold of your sovereignty and know that despite whatever happens, know that we know that you are in control. Always have been and always will be. And then for those, God, who are coming out of storms, Lord, I pray that you reveal to them the reasons why they went through storms. Help them to learn whatever lesson may be needed to learn. Give them the strength to use the experience in whatever way you'd have them use it. Lord, I I just pray this morning that you just help us leave encouraged today knowing that you were in control in those days and are still in control in these days. So it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.